Amen, amen. That all sound good this morning. Yeah. He must have got up early. Got the coffee this morning. That all sound good. But, but that, that song, it, I mean, that's our desire, right? We want to shine like heaven on earth. I mean, we want, but we live in a world where it's hard to do that. Why? Because the world says we're supposed to shine unto the glory of ourselves. This world says that we're number one. I love the way James Joyce sums it up. It says, he says, what's yours is mine and what's mine is my own. Right? I mean, in this world, it's about me. It's about what we have or what we can get. It's about power. It's about popularity. It's about image. Essentially, the world would say that I am the center of my universe. But the problem is you read this book and we get a whole different picture of what this life is all about. In fact, God tells us in Exodus chapter 20, he says, put no other gods before me. And what's the greatest God that we put before him? The God of self, right? You see, the moment we said yes to Jesus, we moved from the number one position to the number two position. So the question I would have for us today is who does number two work for? Who does number two work for? Who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turd who's boss. <laughs> Some of our visitors will never be back. Hey, man. This is the gathering. We don't, we don't change just when we get in church. We are who we are. We love God. We're serious about chasing him. But we also would be reminded today of who we work for. If we're number two, God wants us to know that he's number one and that we work for God. You think that that's just the movie? No, Colossians 3.23 is your reference you may want to write down. We work for God. We exist not to glorify ourselves, but for the glory of our creator. The problem is, is that many of us, myself included, we often act like we are owners rather than stewards of what God has given us. See, owners believe that what we have, our time, our treasure, and our talent, well, it's mine. It's what I have. It's what I worked for. And I can do with it what I want. Stewards, on the other hand, realize that our time, our treasure, our talent is on loan from God. And therefore, we must prioritize our time, treasure, and talent to reflect and to honor God. It's not that we can't exist and do some things in the world, right, and have some fun. That's awesome. God loves that. But it's about prioritization. Here's the big idea. Our earthly view determines our eternal view. Say that with me. Our earthly view determines our eternal view. That is, how we view this life dictates the view that we will have in eternity. Those aren't my words. Paul said that. In Romans 2, 6, he said, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Turns out what we do in this life really matters. And we're churches about grace. We have seen the grace of God do amazing things. But grace doesn't exempt us from trying. It exempts us from failing. And so we have to live out what we believe in a very tangible way. How we invest here determines our rewards there. 
And we learn that in the parable of the bags of gold in Matthew 25. Jesus is going to remind us to use what he has given us while we still have time. In other words, he's saying, invest wisely. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it, it, meaning the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, and harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I return, when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has, has, has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. Lord, thank you uh, for this parable, this truth that you're trying to point out. God, help us learn how to spend this life wisely and to make it count. Help us learn how to invest and things that are eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew. That's a little harsh, wasn't it? Jesus ain't playing around. And so forgive me today if I don't water this down. I want this to be life-giving. For some of you, this is going to be an encouragement because you're doing this. But for some of us, man, the Lord may be dealing with our hearts. And we love you. We're welcoming. But we don't get to edit the word. I got to preach the word as Jesus had it written. Amen. Amen? So number one, investors take risks. Look at verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Turns out that when you follow Christ and if you want to live the Christian life, there's actually some risk involved. I know that we often don't hear that, but if you read the Bible... The people that really served Christ and really did something for Christ, they took a whole lot of risks. 
And that's what the two of the three servants did, right? Two of the three servants said, I'm going to risk this money. And you have to realize that a, a, a bag of gold was essentially a talent, which was a measurement worth 20 years of wages. So, so five bags of gold would be five talents worth 100 years, more than that guy could ever earn in a lifetime. Uh, that's called going all in. He didn't have a backup plan. And when we, when we go all in for Christ, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to say yes to Jesus. And you know what? It's a little bit scary. And it feels like we're risking. And that's okay. God's perfectly okay with this. In fact, I would suggest that, that we have been sold, uh, to some degree, um, a false narrative of what it means to, to be biblical stewards. We think that if we're biblical stewards, the whole idea of biblical stewardship is so that we can be secure. And we can be safe. And so that we can, you know, like, like the Dave Ramsey system, right? You, you put money in an envelope and you tuck money in an envelope and, and so that you can be secure. And, and I'm all for Dave Ramsey. I, I, I use a lot of those principles in my own life. But the, the, the idea of biblical stewardship and, and stuffing money in an envelope and preparing for the rainy day isn't so that you can be safe and secure and live this nice little fairy tale life. That's not what it's about. It's so that you can be wise with the resources God's given you so that you can invest in God's envelope known as the kingdom of God. And what's the kingdom of God? The people of God. Envelopes don't go to heaven. Cars don't go to heaven. Water bottles don't go to heaven. It's a nice water bottle. Glad I caught it. But they don't go to heaven. People go to heaven. You know, you think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, imagine him at the end of his life, after all he did for Christ, being like, whew, man, I have been such a good steward. I have such this wad of cash, you know, chilling on a, on, on a beach in Barbados, right? Living the dream with a drink in his hand. I don't think that's what he had in mind. Maybe, maybe he would, if he was here today, maybe he would choose to uh, retire in Sun City West, Right? play some pickleball and lay out by the pool, get a nice tan, look like a, a reptile. So maybe he would have written a song, something like this. Oh, boy. Apostle Paul wrote that song. I mean, you read the Bible and you see what he did and how he lived his life and how he finished the race, how he kept the faith. He wasn't about security. It wasn't about safety. It was about investing wisely. And here's the thing. Our treasure that we hold so dear in this life, be careful because it often traps us. What's this? It's a pea trap. Nothing to do with pea. It's just shaped like a pea. So, 
That's a P-trap. And basically, what this does is, is you, you all have one of these on your kitchen sink, right? Which is a good thing if you drop your wedding band down there because it'll get stuck in the P-trap. But oftentimes, our treasure acts a whole lot like this P-trap. We, 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 we want a nice car. We want nice stuff. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with having nice stuff. Praise God. Like God's okay with that. He's not stingy. He's a generous God. He, he doesn't mind if we have stuff. So long as that stuff doesn't enslave us, so long as it doesn't trap us, so long as it doesn't become a barrier to what God wants to do in our life, in our family, in our church. Oftentimes, our treasure traps us. It's exactly what happened to the rich man in in Luke 18. Remember, the guy who's rich comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? He says, I've kept all the commandments I've lived a good life. I'm, I'm squeaky clean. What does Jesus tell him in Luke 18? Yep, you got it. Verse 22, he says, you still lack one thing. Uh, what, what is it, Jesus? Tell me. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's hyperbole. That's exaggeration for effect. He's just making a point. And I would suggest that Jesus didn't really really even want him to sell everything. He wanted him to be willing to sell everything. To move to the number two spot and say, you know what? If I got to lose all this, I'm willing I'll do it. And I believe at that moment, when he, when he sum, submitted to God and surrendered to God, at that moment, I believe God said, uh, just like Abraham and Isaac, no, 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 it's, it's good. We're good. I just wanted to know that you wanted me more than you wanted stuff. And a lot of us Christians, man, we got a war going on in our heart, in our mind, in our homes, because we got so much stuff that it's bogging us down, it's weighing us down, and there's a battle. And God wants to know, like the rich man, that, that we're willing to let it all go. God, and, and, and this is not a message about what God wants to take away from you. You serve a God who pursued you and me, who loves us, who chased us down. He is not a stingy God. He doesn't want to take away stuff from us. He wants to give us. The message is about investing. It's about what he wants to give us. He wants to give us an inheritance. He wants to, to give us something that the world can't snatch from us. Where rust can't rust it away and moth can't destroy. Something that's everlasting. Something that's real and eternal. Dan, you mentioned last week that uh, you lost four houses. Wow. That'd be pretty tough, right? I had a question for you, and we don't rehearse this. He doesn't know I'm asking this. Um, Question, would you say today or at the time you owned those four houses? Answer honestly. Would you say you are closer to God with the four houses or on this side of the four houses? Today. Today. Hmm. Interesting. I assumed you would say that. (laughs) And isn't that weird? You would think that the world would say, well, wait a second. If you got four houses, you're way better off. God's economy is, is different. Doesn't always work like that. And I, I love what What Francis Chan said, he said, lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of his followers. 
You know, someone lives their life for Christ and does something really cool. And we're all like, wow. I mean, that guy, he's radical. I think of Gary. I think of you leaving the church, right? I mean, he sold the church. In the world's eyes, he sold his building, had 150 people going to church and, and over in Peoria, and God tells him to sell it. That's a risk. People thought he was crazy. And it turns out he wasn't so crazy, right? Because he, he, he called God, or he called the church to join up with, with, with our church. And, and, and it, it's like we look at that and we think, that's radical faith. Or is it? Or is it? Maybe that's just like what we're all supposed to be. Maybe like the, the bar is set so low that we've Americanized our faith so much that when we see someone who's actually just living and doing what they're supposed to do, we're like, wow, whoa. See, Christianity was never meant to be convenient. I don't know if you know that. But Christianity was never meant to be convenient. And what we do is we kind of, you know, we take the Bible and we adopt it to our culture and we make, make it like kind of fit in, like, like something we put in our pocket. You know, I want it to fit in to my jeans. It wasn't meant to fit in to a pocket in our jeans. It's incredibly inconvenient. But we have made it convenient because we, we live in a world that's convenient. I mean, think of your cars from 15 years ago to today. 15 years ago, we didn't have dual climate zones. You had one button for the whole car and everyone had to deal with it. Now everyone's got their own little thing, right? What about Bluetooth? Kids, you're not gonna believe this, but 15 years ago, you actually had to plug into, like plug an MP3 player into the console. And before that, there were CDs. Before that, there was cassette. No, no, I'm getting there. Cassette tapes. And then eight tracks for the love of God. I don't know if you know this, but 15 years ago, they didn't have backup cameras in cars. What? Yeah. You actually had to look in the mirror or God forbid, turn your neck. <laughs> we are about convenience. But then you read this book and you realize, whoa, when I read these, these great men and women of God in the Bible, it was incredibly inconvenient for them. What about Abel? His brother killed him. Why did... Why did Cain kill Abel? Well, Cain wanted to sacrifice the way he wanted, not the way God told him. He wanted to offer a bloodless sacrifice. He wanted to do it his way. He wanted to be number one. And so it cost Abel everything. What about Zechariah, the prophet, who in 2 Chronicles 24 was stoned to death in the temple? Why? Because he stood up to people who wanted to recreate God in their own image. Incredibly inconvenient for him. How about John the Baptist? Remember in Matthew 14, when he stood up to King Herod because King Herod wanted to divorce his wife to marry his sister-in-law? Ugh. It was very inconvenient for uh, John the Baptist. It cost him his noggin, right? Cut his head off. Or how about the two witnesses? It hasn't happened yet, but we know it's going to happen. Revelation 11, two witnesses. They're going to preach for three and a half years straight during the tribulation. Woohoo! Uh-oh. After three and a half years, the beast kills them, and their bodies lay lifeless in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, while people, while wicked people laugh and mock them. Incredibly inconvenient. Well, at least until you read the rest of the story, God raises them from the dead. There's an earthquake, 7,000 people die, and the rest of them are like, 
But Christianity is incredibly inconvenient. And so we've got to think past the convenience of this life. We've got to look into eternity. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. That's eternity. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Mm. When you wake up, don't you let a day go by where you don't think about heaven. Because if you think about earth, if you think about this life, if you think about your to-do list, your mind's going to go right here, right, right in front of you, right to this world. We need to lift our chins up to heaven and think about eternity. Why? Because your heart has so many beats. This heart will beat a number of times, and someday the Lord tarries, it will stop beating, and you got nothing left, right? You're taken to eternity. Your time is up. We got to make this life count. We got to think about eternity. We got to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for a greater purpose. That's why I'm so proud of Janine. Janine and Bruce, they go to this church. In fact, Bruce is one of our elders. Janine called me and she said, you know, we are looking for this car. They do the envelope system. So they have a, a, a car envelopes. They've been stuffing with a lot of cash, right? And so there's a lot of cash. And, and, and what, she, what they decided is she needed a car. And, and instead of getting a new car, they decided, in her words, to get a car that was 12 years old. Why? She explained that she wants to give more to the land fund, to the building fund. I thought, wow, you know what that did? It made me ex examine my heart, you know, as I get ready to, to you know, to, to begin to, you know, channel resources uh, eternally in, for that specific thing. And by the way, a little update. Uh, this week, if everything goes well, we plan on, and we've already had elder approval of this, we plan on um, signing a, a contract for a, an amazing piece of land. I can't tell you more about it right now. I can tell you that it's, it's uh, about a few minutes south of here uh, on the 303 corridor. It is an amazing piece of land, and God is working, we believe, pulling some amazing strings uh, to, to get just an incredible deal on this land. Um, and so stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll have uh, more, more, yeah, amen. But I, I said in a few weeks ago, Christians don't make sacrifices, they make investments. Then uh, Michael from our creative team, our creative director, he put that online and we, we got a bunch of traffic on that, like a bunch of, you know, bunch of likes, and, but we also got a few haters on there. That's biblically incorrect. Okay, so... I love it when, like, you know, Christians become theologians overnight, you know, when they, when they don't like something or someone, you know, if we forget the whole love part, if we could just do that, we, we'd be all right. But uh, so let me explain. Christians don't make sacrifices, they make investments. So sacrifice is to give up something important or valued for the sake of other considerations. And do we sacrifice? Well, yes, we sacrifice, you know, Romans 12 too, be, be a living sacrifice, the Bible says. So in, in a broad sense, yes, we sacrifice. But let me, let me go on. And to invest is to devote one's time, effort, or energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. So if you go back to sacrifice, you give up something for the sake of other considerations. What's the other consideration? Expectation of a worthwhile result. In other words, we're not just going to go out and sacrifice 
just a sacrifice. We're doing that because we know what's coming. We know that we're investing. We know what Paul said, that we're going to get repaid. Right? So in a, in, a, in a more accurate sense, it's really an investment. We're sacrificing for the purpose of investing. There we can make everyone happy. But let me warn you. From this story, there's, there's an important piece that we can't overlook in this story. Some investors are held hostage by fear. That's precisely what happened to this man with one bag. He was overcome by fear. Look at verse 24. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. Many of us today, if we're honest, we are gripped by fear. We sing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Some of us are singing that in faith because we are. Not because God wants us to. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, the Bible says. So the fear doesn't come from God. It comes from our humanity or maybe our lack of trust that God's got us covered, that God will make a way. And so what we do is we, we're afraid. We're afraid to get hurt. Maybe you've been to another church and someone hurts you and you think, John's going to hurt me. The church is going to hurt me. I can't go all in. And so what do we do? We hide our gold in the ground. What does that mean? That means we invest in things of this world. And we miss out on what God, still make it to heaven. Praise God, yay God. But we miss out on so much that God wants to do. And we get to heaven in our inheritance. You know, what, what, what view do you want? Do you want the, the penthouse view or the outhouse view in heaven? Which one do you want? I want a good view, man. I want, I want to get there and God to say, hey man, I know this cat. That's that joker that showed those dumb videos at the gathering. But you know what? He led people to Christ. He loved me. Man, I, I, want a, I want a good view in heaven. But it takes overcoming our fear. And, and see, uh, the problem is, is the reason people bury their gold in the ground is because it, this world, the investment, it's, it's safe, right? It's known. The return on investment, it's immediate. I mean, you got 10,000 bucks, you go buy a boat. I got the boat. It's in my driveway, right? But if you give $10,000 to the land fund, well, you know, it's going to take a little while to build, and I don't see that, and is it really? We talk ourselves out of all stuff, out of blessings of God all the time. It takes risk. Investors take risks. And secondly, second point I want to point out today is that investors reap what they sow. Look at these Two investors. What does it say in, in, in this story? The two investors who risked it, they reaped what they sowed. It says they shared in the master's happiness, verse 21. And in verse 29, they were given more. So not only did they have access to the happiness of God, to the master's happiness, but God trusted them with more. I, I love, if you read this closely, you, you realize that the master didn't really give them happiness. He gave them access to his happiness. It's a difference. Let me say it this way. Happiness is not a measure of what we have, but rather what he has. Amen? Amen. See, and, and when you seek happiness, you ain't gonna find it. Oh, you might find it temporarily, like the boat. Oh, man, that's awesome, that's an awesome boat. Until it gets a hole in it. Or until the outboard motor doesn't work. Right? 
I mean, stu- the, 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 the stuff of this world is cool for a while, but ultimately it doesn't bring us happiness. It may subdue the, the emptiness that we have if we're not living for Christ, but ultimately it doesn't bring us happiness. And so God allows us to share in his happiness when we invest in the right place. I've seen that more this year than I've ever seen in my life. And let me just, let me just be incredibly real with you. I was, I was living for God to a degree. Part of these big, big churches and awesome. God did some cool things to that. But he was calling me to, to start a church, to plant a church. And I was resisting. I didn't want to do it. Many of you have heard this story. You know I, did. I was a little bit like, you know, because the big church is safe. The big church has big salary. It has retirement. All the things that, come on, man, I'm human too, right? Like, and I got a family. We're a family of six. I got a lot of considerations. But God was calling me to take a, a, a different path, a path that scared me to death, a path that put me into financial jeopardy, you know, like to where a place I haven't been before, where I really actually had to, you know, that we, instead of just talk about faith, I actually had to start living it. Wow. It's easy to preach about. It's hard to live it. And so God t- took me to that place. Well, let me tell you what God has done in my life this year. Let me just give you, I can't tell you, but I want to give you a few examples of reaping and sowing. So we didn't have any, we don't have extra money with, with, with you know, our finances right now. And so the washer and dryer went out. Uh-oh. And, and this was like 11 years, and, I, and these are nice front loaders with the pedestals and everything, right? Goes out. I'm like, I'm like, hey, sweetheart, you know, God's going to provide. I'm thinking to myself, God, you've got to provide. God's going to provide, sweetheart. Don't you worry. You know we're faith. God, come on, right? The next day, someone from this church comes up and says, here's a check. He said, God just led me to give this to you. I don't know why. And don't you know, it was enough for us to go out and get a brand new state-of-the-art LG front load and washer machine with the pedestals and all the fancy gizmos. My wife was like, you're right, God will provide. I'm like, whew. Okay, oh, I'm not finished. Oh, I'm just getting started. Wait till I get going. So we didn't have any money for vacation. You know, this is a whole new, whole new deal when you church plant, right? So I get a call from someone this year in, in California, lives in California, and she says, hey, you know, God laid this on my heart. Um, we want to take you and your entire family to Disneyland. Never been to Disneyland before. All expenses paid. I'm talking even, uh, you know, like the little Disney dollar credit cards with like $300 for each of my kids to spend while I'm there. And we're like, Daddy, you never treat us like this. <laughs> okay, that was, that was awesome. Never happened to me before. Then I get someone from this church say, you know what? God laid this on our heart. We, we, we want to take you and Cindy to the Holy Lands, to Israel. Uh, let, let me think about that. Yes. Yeah. So we're going here in, in a few months to the Holy Lands. I'm not done. Then another couple in this church, different couple, came and said, you know, God put this on our heart. We, we want to take you and your wife to Cabo for a week. All expenses paid. Are you, are you serious? Like Cabo, the, you know, Cabo, like the beach? You know? Yeah, we're serious. Uh, okay, let me, let, me, let me say this. This has never happened to me in my life. And, and, and don't get, listen, this isn't a cakewalk. Like, think, oh, John's got a maid. Okay, the church, church, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Okay? But it's also been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. God has taken care of me. God has taken care of my family. God is providing. Why? What, what, what changed? The direction of my investment. That's all that changed. 
And listen, I'm not bragging because I get it wrong more than I get it right. But when we do get it right and we begin to trust God and we begin to invest in the right way, all of a sudden God's like, hey guys, open up the floodgates. Let's show them, give them some blessings, huh? I wish I would have done it earlier. I missed out on so much. But we've got to trust him. Now, conversely, the servant who buried the talent was cast in the outer darkness. What is that? What is the outer darkness? Well, two possible, two possibilities. Number one, it could be hell. Matthew 8, 12 and Matthew twenty two thirteen 13 would suggest that the outer darkness is hell. Now, this, the context of this is a little more ambiguous. There's a little more gray area. In, in fact, a lot of theologians such as Warren Wearsby and, and some good scholars, uh, they would suggest that the outer darkness here would refer to the loss of the opportunity to serve. My question would be, which one of those two options are you okay with? Hell or God saying, I don't trust you. I'm going to trust this guy. I'm not okay with either, Right? And, and, and that's what happened to the guy who played it safe and buried the talent, the gold in the ground. You see, here's what I'm getting at. God's looking for people he can trust, right? He's looking for men and women, boys and girls, who he can trust to be stewards, to, to move themselves out of the number one spot to the number two spot and invest eternally to get off our as I like to say, blessed assurances. Did you know that the gluteus maximus is the largest and most powerful muscle in the body? Did you know that? And what you probably didn't know is according to a 2012 Harvard study is that there's a correlation to larger butts and longer life. It's true. Someone said amen. Amen, that'll preach. Oh, the power we have if we would get off our butts. Because we live longer if we utilize these things, which is why I know Chachi is going to live a long time. Chachi has a very large gluteus maximus. Why? Because he gets up at 5, actually 4, 4 a.m., every Sunday to be here for 5.30, unloading each and every week along with Mike and, 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 uh, and, and Mark, uh, Dave, and some of the people that are part of that team. We've got people that are doing that in the connections ministry, in the ushers. We have uh, the, uh, uh, help me out. What name of the group? Saturday morning. Misfits, thank you. Misfits, they're a group that goes out from our church every Saturday and serves. And are you doing Sunday now too? Whew, it's pretty hot out there. You're going after the service. See, that's called an eternal investment. It's pretty hot out there, you know. And we got Bob back. And, and, and let me tell you. You want to know someone who's investing eternally? Bob. But you want to know someone who invested eternally? His beautiful wife, who is now in the presence of the Almighty God. This guy was up this morning before church with what group was that? Ascendance Motorcycle Club. They were out serving the homeless as well. Yeah, amen. That's what it means to get off our butts.
to use our glutes for something eternal. So on the, uh, on the morning of June 10th, 13 days ago, I prayed for a divine appointment. And that divine appointment would be answered at three o'clock as I pulled through the gate to my neighborhood. Many of you have heard this story on Facebook. I pulled through the gate. I was with Levi in the front seat and Stella in the back seat. I pulled through the gate and I got through the gate and it closed, but I couldn't go forward because there was an SUV straddling uh, the, the, the street. And there was a person in the driver's seat and there was a white SUV a few, few feet away with a 75-year-old man who came running towards me and said, stay, stay in your car, he's got a gun. Of course, my heart started racing. I told the kids to get down. I reached under my seat and pulled out what I like to refer to as my second amendment. Amen. Prepared for the worst. And the, the 75-year-old man would come around, and I would later learn that he, this, this gentleman, who we can go ahead and put it, that man, uh, Gary Perkins, uh, he had actually carjacked his car, and so he was in the 75-year-old man's car. And so that man, the older man, would come around to the passenger side, uh, rear door of the car, open the door, and he knew he had a gun, so I, I told him later, I said, that was either the bravest thing or the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But he opened the door, and he started yelling at the guy, and so this Gary Perkins gets out of the car, he walks around, remember, I, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on this side, the, the passenger side, he walks around, and there I see the weapon. My heart was racing, my hands were shaking, never been in this situation before, and would like not to be in it again. And he's four or five feet away, and I'm thinking, he's, he's going to shoot him, and I'm going to have to make a decision. And my kids are going to hear the, these shots, and they're never going to forget this. And all this stuff's going through my mind in just these few seconds. He gets about four or five feet away from him, and then he looks over at me. And I don't know if he saw what I was holding in my hand, or if it was just the act of God or a combination of both, but he looked at me and then turned and went and walked slowly back to his car and drove off. I called 911, no lie. They say, 911, your call, call will be answered in the order it was received. <laughs> so I've, I'm on hold for about 15 seconds, which seemed like eternity. Got the kids home, got them safe. And we were later, we were filling out a police report. And, and, and the older man looked at me and said, you know, I think you saved my life. And I'm not sure if I did or not. I don't know what was going to happen. I have no idea. But the moment he said that, I realized that was the answer to my prayer that morning. That was the divine appointment, albeit odd and scary and unpredictable and not what I would have wished. That was the answer to my prayer. You say, well, God wouldn't put you in danger. Yes, he would. Read the Bible. He puts Christians in danger all the time to develop us, but also to be an example to others. You see, the moment I said yes to Jesus, my life was no longer my own. I'm a steward of, of what God has given me. I became number two, and God became number one. And you know what? If, if, if being the answer to someone's prayer means that sometimes you, you, your, your hands shake, because let me tell you, uh, my hands, I, call me a baby, call me whatever, my hands were shaking. 
my heart was racing. I didn't sleep that night. Stella slept right by daddy because she wanted to, to be with dad that night. But if that causes, if that's what it costs, so what? We're stewards of what God gave us. Everything I have, everything I am belongs to him. I'm a wreck without him. I would later learn from that gentleman that he had cancer. And he said, I don't know how much time I have left. He was getting ready to go back for a second visit. But you know what? I was able to share my faith with him. I told him about this church. I told him about Jesus and how I prayed that morning and that I believed this was, this was the answer. You'll never guess where he lives because I invited him to church right across the street at Arizona Traditions. Coincidence? I think not. I believe God's going to get him here. And even if he doesn't, I believe God used me that day as, as scared as I was, as trembling as I was. I believe God used us to be a witness. And if I had died, you know what? At least I would have done so taking a risk and investing in something, or should I say someone eternal. I want to finish today. I want to be quick, but I'll read this poem. It sums up my whole message, my whole message in a poem. Some of you have heard this before. It's called The Dash by Linda Ellis. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those that loved them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand how other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? I'm a little overwhelmed a little bit just thinking of Carol and how she spent it and what an example she is to so many of us. What do you want your view to look like? Because our earthly view, how we view this life is gonna determine our view in heaven. I pray that we spend our time, we spend our dash wisely, always investing in things eternal. Let's pray. Before we uh, just close in prayer, I just want to 
make sure uh, I always give an opportunity. Most of you probably know Christ, but perhaps there's someone in here who doesn't know Jesus. I just want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus. If you've never made him Lord of your life, you can do so right here, right now. You can know that when your dash expires and that you're you breathe your last breath and your heart beats its last beat that you'll be in the presence of the Almighty God. You do that by simply acknowledging Christ, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that and you want to make Jesus Lord with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's someone that wants to do that today, would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've never done that, just go ahead and slip up your hand. I'll give you an opportunity to, to, to pray that prayer. Anybody that wants to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the reality is, is that most, if not all, we've already made that decision. Now it's time to live it. It's time to leave this place, get off our blessed assurances and go live what we believe and invest wisely. What that means for you, that's between you and God. But there's a whole lot of opportunities in this church, whether serving, whether giving, Maybe it's someone at work you need to witness to. Maybe it's just waking up and thinking about eternity and surrendering your will to his will. Whatever that looks like for you, spend your dash wisely. Lord, thank you for each and every person that calls this church family their home. I pray that we use the time we have left to glorify you, to lead people to you, and to make our lives echo in eternity. Help us invest in your kingdom in your people. May your will be done in our life. And may we be welcomed home with the words we all long to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, listen, I got some good news for you. Uh, next service, we are having a couple baptisms. We do usually do that at the uh, the. 1045 service, so um, for time's sake, to get y'all out on time and everything, so uh, we are really excited about that. Um, stay tuned. I'll, I'll keep you updated next week or the week after when I get the news on the on the land, and eventually I'll be able to give you the location, and we're and we're going to put a big old fat sign out there, and pretty soon we're going to put a nice building out there. You ain't going to have to meet in the school forever. Amen? Amen, amen. God is good. Have a great week. Love you guys. This thing gets a little bit weaker.